I will say we need a wrap soon. It is getting long. Oh my god, we haven't even talked about music yet. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. We might have to snip makeup and music into part three because we're already at an hour fifteen. I cannot believe we're gonna I told you, what did I say? A three hour film is gonna be three parts. We had to watch it in three parts too. We had to we had to watch it. We took an we did an hour and we're like, this is a good stopping point. Let's go run to Ulta. And then came back and did another hour. What is the timestamp right now? 118. Gosh! <laughs> 118.39, yeah. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the third and final part of our series on The Batman. As always, you don't have to have watched the movie in order to listen to this episode, but we always recommend it as we will never stray away from spoilers. Um, today, we're going to be wrapping up this series by talking about some of the um, last few production points, but the bulk of today's episode is going to be on the music from the film done by one of our favorite composers, Michael Giacchino insert chef kiss emoji mm-hmm. uh, so let's just dive in i'm your host audrey and i'm your co-host sheree so sit back relax and please don't silence your phone while we check your cinematic pulse couple other things that uh, we wanted to talk about as far as um, just overall production Um, and I guess when I say production it's the stuff that I don't think about Um, like like shot framing which we talked about and um, camera angles and lens choices and did we talk about the jump through the fire scene I think we did, but I don't think we talked. Well, yes, we did. We did talk about it. We mm. did talk about it. We talked about it in episode two because we talked about the fact that it was practical effects. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Which are always near and dear to my heart are practical effects. I will always beg that producers go with practical effects over. They're so compelling and they're just so, they're just so good. And they, I feel like when you use practical effects, it gives you like something to really appreciate about a film. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you can't appreciate CGI. No, so but like it, that. it gives you this this realistic grounding anchor. Mm-hmm. I think that that using CGI does just doesn't give you. I mean, like it's awesome for sure. We talked about um, there are just certain things that you can't recreate, obviously, mm-hmm. without a computer, um, especially when you're getting into the realm of like science fiction movies and everything. Right. But there's um <clears throat> even in science fiction movies there's definitely an element that using practical effects just makes the whole thing stand out. It's why Star Wars still holds up is right. because there's real elements that they're interacting with versus just, you know, plopping in computer animated stuff. Look at this green circle. Mm-hmm. It's Yoda. Look Follow at- it. Poor Dobby. Poor Dobby is just a tennis ball. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about Dobby eventually. Um let's see. So I wanted to talk about just some of the things that I noticed as um, a non-expert when it comes to production stuff. And I think the very first thing that I noticed was maybe some some point of view shots and some framing um, that they did, especially in the very opening of the movie. Because in the very opening of the movie, we talked about this <clears throat> before, where we just get this shot of, it's like through like kind of a, a binoculars or, right. or some kind of lens. POV shot. Right. It's yeah, it's a POV shot. And I think, you know, going into the movie, it's about the Batman. I assumed that we were seeing things from Batman's perspective. Um, You know, there's a little bit of heavy breathing. I would assume that maybe that's, you know, his nose inside Mm -hmm. of the mask or whatever. Um, 
but then you know we're watching what's happening through his eyes and you have the the ave maria theme playing in the background which would be a great segue into music right um but you have the ave maria theme playing in the background and then you realize um later as the mayor gets attacked that that was not in fact batman that we were watching otherwise i would assume that he'd be stopping that murder in progress what's interesting too that pov shot is i would have thought the same thing batman batman's Mm -hmm. watching he's scoping something right he's sitting up on some rooftop like bats does watching and and looking for crimes to avert but i want to say after rewatching it and knowing it, mm-hmm. I feel like we should have known it wasn't Batman just because of the song and how it's played. Oh, absolutely. Second time through, and we know, we know that Ave Maria is our villain's theme. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's a dead giveaway. We, sh- we should have not. But even, I think you talked about, I'm not, I'm not a musical person. Like, mm-hmm. I can sing, but I don't know all those musical terms. But the way it's pitched. Oh, we'll get into that. We will definitely mm-hmm. get into that. Um, you know what? We're already talking about music. Let's just go ahead and jump into it. I was going to wait until later, but we're already talking about it. Um, so we'll definitely get into the theme usage of Ave Maria in the movie. Um, first of all, just like shout out to Michael Gacchino, uh, whose last name I recently had to learn how to pronounce correctly. It is Gacchino. What did we say? I was calling the boy Giacchino. I was butchering this man's last name. It looks like Giacchino. It looks like Cappuccino or something like Michael Macchiato. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Michael. I'm sorry. You're awesome. And I love you. Uh, yeah. So correct pronunciation of this guy's name is Michael Gacchino. Um, I still said it wrong the other day. He's it's in my brain. I have to I have to consciously remind myself how to say it correctly every time I I oh, say his when name. We were, I was watching um, oh man, that Marvel special that he did that he directed. Oh, uh, the werewolf, werewolf that, by, by, by night. night, werewolf at night, werewolf something about nighttime. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. That's right. You were telling me he directed it, and I was like, I thought I he only shocked. did music. So Michael Giacchino has done uh quite a few kind of iconic soundtracks. Um. The first one I remember really paying attention to was Up. That Interesting, was the one. Because I did not know for the longest time that Michael Giacchino had scored Up because it sounds so different than a lot of his other work. So beautiful. Um, Michael Giacchino is like inextricably linked with J.J. Abrams, which I am so okay with. J.J. uses him for like all of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing that, first couple of things that I saw um, and heard scored by him would be Lost. A J.J. Ah, Abrams yes. production, which is just iconic. Um, it, the, the the theme for Lost is very, it's very slow and it's not complicated. It's like a four note theme, but I was playing it on the piano the other day and my mom goes, are you playing the Lost music after like three <laughs> notes in? I'm like, yes, mom, I am. Uh, and then the other one that was a J.J. Abrams production that I also heard Michael in really early was um, Fringe. Uh, it's another J.J. Abrams TV show. Love. And that one has a very, uh, very well-known, well, I wouldn't say well-known, but um, very iconic theme. And it was funny because somebody who's listened to a, like, a lot of Michael Giacchino's music and knows some of his style, um, he has some favorite chord progressions. Mm-hmm. And I heard some of them in the batman music right i think we've talked about this with other uh composers as well like john Mm -hmm. williams yeah you know a john williams you know what john williams Williams hear it he loves his dissonance in Mm -hmm. his music and he loves his sound effect dissonance and and you know because there it's a little chaotic and then it moves back into the theme it's fantastic and you know john williams when you hear it and he loves his horns and strings all put together does i actually i went to um 
something the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra was doing like forever ago. And I, uh, it was a John Williams special where they were doing John Williams music and doing a little bit of education about it. And it was, he brought into the modern age the usage of a full band and orchestra into movie soundtracks. He mixed like brass and woodwinds with strings. Awesome. which had not been done a lot in mainstream cinema prior to his kind of debut into that. Why is um, the goat? He is. He is totally the goat is because he kind of revolutionized the modern movie soundtrack. Prior to that, it was you either had like brass or woodwinds or brass and woodwinds, or you did something with strings and like piano. But not all of it. But not all of it put together. You did not use a full symphony orchestra to score your movie. Um, that was not really done before. Like you think like, old western movies and they kind of exclusively had like either just strings in that mm. whole opening sequence or like full brass in that opening sequence which i also found out there was some old western movie that one is one of john williams very early scorings he scored an old western movie i believe it was the cowboys it was that uh, my dad's gotten back into western. watching Western movies. And so we've rewatched a lot of old Western movies. And I, I think it was The Cowboys. And I think I remember going through the, the opening credits and and seeing, like, score by John Williams in 1972. And I was like, really the, now? The homie John Williams? The homie? My man, John Williams? So, um... So yes, but then I started listening to it, and while it does definitely sound like your traditional, like very right. very Western e, like right. you can still hear John's like signature in it, right? Um, and that's totally how Michael Giacchino is. Is he likes his, some of his minor stuff? He likes using the piano. That's like his strongest instrument is oh, yeah. the piano. And I, as a piano player, as a, a pianist, if if you will, <laughs> if, uh, you if you will, um. I really love that because then that means that I get to then download his music and learn how to play them. And I gotta say, this was a hard soundtrack. Like, dude went all in for this. I have trouble playing this soundtrack on the piano. He does some, like, full sonatas that are, like, ten pages long and and hard to play. Like, I get halfway through them and I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to break that down and play the right hand and play the left hand and then try to put it together. I couldn't. My brain could never. It's so, it's, it's, he did a really, really good job. And also his hands are significantly larger than mine. And so he does this really annoying things that <laughs> large... Annoying because you can't do it annoying? Yes, annoying because <laughs> I can't do it annoying, but it's like a flex. It's a flex that like composers with large hands will do when playing the piano is they'll do like, 10 note chords which the most the average person can reach when playing an a chord is an octave which is eight notes mm -hmm. but people with bigger hands can stretch it and do 10 sometimes 11 notes to separate the 11. thumb from pinky and i can't play it <laughs> how could you do i'm sorry i have my hands out in front of me i don't know it's, about the rest of you but you I'm can't like, how do you even do you 11 um, when you only if, have 10 fingers? Just, oh, no, no. So, like, so your average, to explain to also all of our, our listeners, is between, uh, in an octave, you have eight notes of difference. Bum, bum, bum is an octave. There's eight notes in between oh, those I two notes. Oh, I see what you're saying now. Yes. And if you're playing that on the piano, your thumb is hitting that bottom note and your pinky is hitting that top note. And your your hand is completely stretched in between those two notes. And that's an octave. Mm. And in in playing 
the music. What am I thinking? You're playing eight keys in a row. The, you no. know, I'm smarter Let than that. Let me use all ten fingers I'm and then my toes. <laughs> I mean, that would be impressive. I have had to do that because somebody who had giant hands, I, I've actually played a song where in the middle I had to bop down and hit one with my nose. <laughs> I did not have enough fingers and whoever the stupid composer was was like, let me just flex all over everybody and I'm like, okay, and using whatever I have available to me to play the music. <laughs> And uh, so, yes, this was one of those where uh, Michael unnecessarily flexed all over everybody and was like, I'm just going to be better than you. And I'm like, yes, you are. (laughs) 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 That's exactly what it was, trying to play this soundtrack. (laughs) Um, So, yes, his his, uh, prior work. Um, (laughs) Where do I I even move on from that? You're going to have to cut that because my brain just... I'm not going to cut any of that. I am going to say... I really enjoy his music in general. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many of his songs I have, like, on Spotify or on just, you know, my phone in general. Yes. One of my, again, back to Up, I something about that was just so special. That film was special in general. We're talking about Pixar's Up. I don't know if there's mm-hmm. any other Ups. When I say Up, that's the one I mean. I don't know. The one that Rick Astley is never going to give you? <laughs> <laughs> I just Rick rolled all y'all. Mm-hmm. I made you listen to my podcast just to Rick roll you. <laughs> That was wonderful, actually. I'm sorry. 10 out of 10 would joke again. (laughs) Um, But I remember, I'm not going to lie, as much as I love Harry Potter and I love John Williams, I really started to focus on music when I heard his score for Up, because I was like, it's just so nuanced. And I really loved it. And from there on, he actually became probably my favorite composer. Really? Yes. And then, and there's just so many films, like one of, another one I really like that he did that I don't feel like anyone really saw this movie except me, Hmm. was Tomorrowland. He does this really beautiful... Kino scored Tomorrowland? Yes. It got such crappy reviews. Who's it... in that? George Clooney? George Clooney. <laughs> Actually, I think Tim McGraw was in there, too. What? <laughs> I think he was... Yeah. You know who else? Hugh Laurie was in that film. What? what? You, it was a. It was actually not a bad cast. It was just a meh film. I liked... I mean, I liked the film. I, I don't it, know. It was Dis- a cute film. Disney's live-action films have historically been incredibly hit or miss. You either get ones that they totally just nail out of the park, like National Treasure, mm-hmm. or you get ones that are like a complete flop, like Tomorrowland, where it just does not resonate well. Um, I know, like, the land of Tomorrowland in Disney World is is really big for, like, my family. Like, we absolutely love Tomorrowland when we go to Disney World. But we saw the trailer for the movie, and we're like, I don't get it. It just, I don't know, whatever the concept was, didn't land a, and didn't, didn't made me want to go to drive through. Just McDonald's, here's your large iced tea, your twit 10 count nugget, and a copy of Tomorrowland. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> no, I, I remember, like, it's not a film I've rewatched, but it is a soundtrack I've listened to multiple times. That's so really interesting. That's interesting. Like, okay, so it's interesting that Up was your first soundtrack that you heard of Michael Giacchino because... It's when I started to pay... That, like, that soundtrack made me start uh-huh. to really pay attention to music. That's interesting because I'm... I mean, like, I can think of the Up theme, like... Like, he... I can think of it, but right. it doesn't... That doesn't sound like Michael Giacchino's traditional music right. to me, is the thing. It's very bright, mm-hmm. and it's very happy, and I would not have associated that with his work. Like, he, John Williams, and uh, honestly, one of my very favorite... Probably my favorite composer of all time, Joe Hisaishi, he does all the music for the Ghibli films. Almost oh, all of them. Oh, okay. Now, we... That's... That's... We'll talk about some We of will those get later, into the Studio Ghibli films. Those are like my favorite favorites. But yes, I'm like we watch all of them. Those are like my trifecta of favorites. Mm. Those three. Just John, Michael, and who's who's this Joe, person? He's Joe. Joe. John, Michael, and Joe. The the three J trifecta. Mm. <laughs> Wait a minute. 
Chiquino doesn't doesn't have a J in it. (laughs) Please cut that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. (laughs) The three J that doesn't have a J trifecta. Um, (laughs) Okay. So that's that's interesting. What I guess what about that particular score, the one and up, made you pay attention to it? I think it was just so emotional. Mm. I feel like you mean like in the first ten minutes that I skipped now after watching that the movie whole thing. the first time. I feel like the whole thing has a lot of emotion to it because I feel like like this movie it has a very dark theme to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas that you know up it it has themes of like emotionality. Like you feel you can feel sad, you can feel moved, you can feel happy, and you can feel uplifted. Literally up. Mm-hmm. I feel like his he was able to do the same song multiple ways and get you to have a different feeling for them yes yeah that's true literally it's his first listed soundtrack on up. on imdb it's he, up he won an academy award for that's it. oh he did yep. that's right he did i was really excited when he won because i was like yes it's the homie yeah his top i say the homie like we're best friends the homie i mean like well like we, we can be eventually like we'll, we'll meet him one day on some red carpet and be like Y'all don't even know how much. You don't even much realize how much I love you. We have fangirled over you and have followed your work. I'm going to meet him and be like, sir, I've followed your work for years. For years. <laughs> for years. Um, yeah, his his top build soundtracks are Up, Ratatouille. Yeah. My favorite Pixar film, Ratatouille. And, oh, I love Ratatouille. Ratatouille is one of the ones that, oddly enough, I will throw on in the background because you want to know what it is. There's a comfort to it because mm-hmm. it's like watching the cooking channel. Well, well that's really it. Because that... there's so much food and it's so comforting. That's a whole different discussion, food and comfort. But... Yes. Um, and then his top, his his third one is Star Trek. Another J.J. Oh, Abrams yeah. movie. Yeah. Star Trek isn't my jam, but, oh, but they're he, fine. They're fine movies. I've watched the them all with you, actually. And and coming from, and this is just another reason why Michael Giacchino is is a completely underrated and awesome composer is because my mom, who's a big fan of Star Trek, back when she was growing up and, and watched it originally back in the 70s and 80s, um, she watched the J.J. Abrams version, and she said she specifically loved the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Because he did the original Star Trek soundtrack, Justice, um, of the... Mm-hmm. Loved it. Um, and my mom my mom said she used to... She and her four sisters, mind you, used to drive my grandmother crazy <laughs> singing the Star Trek theme at the top of their lungs at the end of every episode. Um, and she said that she... She could hear the old hints of all of the original themes and stuff from Star Trek, as well as all of the new elements Mm -hmm. that and his personal elements that Michael brought to the table for that soundtrack. So there's just and that's a hard line to walk when you're doing when you're doing any sort of project like that. It's especially a a remake Mm because you have to live up to fan expectations. Exactly, it's such a hard line to walk when you're taking something that people already know. Imagine if someone redid Harry Potter in like 20 years. You can't mess with the theme. You cannot do it. You can't. do it. You're, you're not allowed. Not unless it's Michael Giacchino. We'll give him a pass. We'll give him a pass. <laughs> the only people allowed to remake Harry Potter is Michael Giacchino. Or we bring back John Williams. We, here's the he, thing. Not that he's dead. The he's only not dead. thing I will accept is Alfonso Cuaron redoing all eight movies oh my God. and having Michael Giacchino score them. <laughs> Dream come true. Dream come true. Everything would be okay then at that point. Actually, the only other person I would allow, and we will talk about this eventually when we get into Star Wars, because we will eventually, is um, Kevin Kiner. Uh, Kevin Kiner scored all of the Star Wars, the Clone Wars animated series. Mm-hmm. 
And honestly, if someone asked, I would not have been able to tell you right away that it was not John Williams because he does an amazing job of capturing that dissonance and the horns that he uses for like a lot of the background music. So he'd be the only other person that I would allow. He'd be the only one. He'd be the only one. Um, so in talking about Michael Gacchino and all of his amazingness, um, let's actually jump into what he, the decisions that he chose to make for the movie, Mm -hmm. um, the Batman. Fangirled long enough. Fangirled long enough. Like now that I've given you his complete life story, but, (laughs) but not really, uh, let's, let's jump in. Um, so we talked about that opening shot. Right. Um, which was just framed really, really well. And it, it has such a gentle lead in because right. you're listening to Ave Maria in the background, is which is another Pretty super famous song too. classic song. I mean, like, you may not know what it's called, right. but everyone's heard that. Somewhere. Everyone's heard that somewhere and can at least sing like those first six notes. <laughs> and so you're opening with this with this very classic song and now and we'll get into why this is super important but now understanding that you're the, the movie opens from the Riddler's point of view right. and the original theme was super important because it establishes that theme as the Riddler's theme. Also, interesting choice of using that song because we kind of talked about how like the Batman character has kind of just been like done to death. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another song that I feel like we've heard in so many movies. Right. Um, I have there's a I distinctly have this vision of I don't think you've ever watched the TV show Psych all the way through, but my family, no, I'm so sorry. my family absolutely loves that show. And there is there is this episode where they figure out who the killer is and. Uh, and she tries to attack them and she winds up falling off of a building. Spoiler alert, she's she's fine and she just goes to jail. Um, but she falls off of a building and they slow-mo it and they play Ave Maria in the background. Of course they do. Because it's that song, you know? It's it's been done to death in those kinds of scenes. It's just it's just iconic. And so it was interesting choice to be using a character who's kind of been done to death with a song that's kind of been done to death. But being intentional about it, it wasn't. It wasn't unintentional. It didn't wind up being campy. They were like, "No, no, we're making this decision on purpose to use this song." Um, let's see. So then, hmm. So then, it's it's important to note we hear the unaltered theme. But if you listen to that theme throughout the movie, they no longer use the. Uh, the original unaltered theme. The version we hear throughout the rest of the movie is a minor version, mm-hmm. and I'm not even gonna try to sing it because I'm gonna I'm gonna miss that note because it's so hard to it's so hard to hear. But when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's not the full theme, right? And and so it, it kind of winds up being I'm reading through reading through my notes, and I just have the the phrase we open on a murder <laughs> just, but we but we do and so you think and and it, and it takes that theme and it takes that that thought of oh this is just gonna be another typical batman movie and it turns it on its head and that whole conversion again. again and 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 so we have that theme turned on its head and and then again from then on we never hear that major theme brought up again in the movie um so i wanted to do a little bit of research on the ave maria song mm-hmm. because i'm like okay why did they pick this particular right. song 
Um, nothing is ever by accident. Nothing films. is ever by accident in films. If you take anything away from this podcast, I want you to know that for the most part, I would say like 95% of the time, nothing is ever on accident right. in films. Like if they picked a color for somebody's wardrobe, somebody picked that color. On purpose. And somebody picked it with intention. Yep. And if somebody picked a song, it was done with intention. And so you have to think about the why. So I had to do a little bit of research um, and the origin of this song. So I thought that this was just like a traditional like Latin Catholic hymn. Mm -hmm. um, but the song apparently is actually older than that. Right. Um, it was written by Franz Schubert for Sir Walter Scott's 1810 poem, The Lady of the Lake, to be set to music too. Mm -hmm. Um and I, once I found that out, I saw that the lyrics um, that we most commonly see are the hymn's lyrics, um, but it's actually set to Schubert's melody. Right. Um, so the original Lady of the Lake poem um, was sung by a woman who was cast out of society um, for refusing to align with a corrupt king. Um, she retreats into the mountains where she sings Schubert's original German lyrics, uh, which detail a cry to the Virgin Mary for help. Um, so as far as the movie goes, we know that this song does not just exist in the soundtrack. Right. Because you might, you might think that obviously because it's playing over the movie that the soundtrack might exist separately from the characters. Um, but the soundtrack kind of breaks that wall between character, it's like the second wall that you would call that, between soundtrack and movie, where it actually the soundtrack enters into the movie mm -hmm. as a character almost. Because then we hear... Um, the Riddler sing it later once he gets arrested. And right. he sings not the minor version, but he sings the major version. And which just, uh, that blew my mind. And I, like, what I just an interesting want, choice, you know? I want that to like sink in to you guys for a second and just like think about the intentionality of that because we've heard the minor theme the whole time but it the, plays for him it plays but for then his he character hums that the major he hums the major version and so that's that's his character's theme is ave maria but the two times we've seen things from his perspective are when the major version of that song was sung yeah so he sings the theme to batman at arkham asylum um and it is like i said it's also the version that we hear in the opening for his point of view and I really think that that was an intentional choice on the part of Matt Reeves and on the part of Michael Giacchino um, to align the Riddler's character with the Lady of the Lake from the original poem. Not only the Lady of the Lake, but Batman. How so? I would argue if you're going to... You, the major is the part you remember in a song. The major, mm -hmm. like, when you think about choirs and stuff, mm -hmm. you have the major, minor, altos, sopranos, you know, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. You often sing the melody. Yeah. Would you argue? Would you argue that when you play a major scale or major, you would? That's like that's the one you remember. That's the one you would probably go and like hum the most major, not the minor. Correct. Yeah. It, the the minor version is harder to hum. Like I said, I mean, like I could I could try to sh sing the minor version of mm -hmm. Ave Maria for you, but I'm probably gonna miss it because it's such an odd shift to make. That's why I would say him humming or singing the major is more. It would make more sense because that's showing him as batman's equal in that moment mm -hmm. okay batman's the major character but we always hear the minor which is obviously meant for tone as mm -hmm. well to set a tone for the character and the film yeah no but when he sings the major mm -hmm. that's showing like this whole film is about batman 
and uh, the Riddler, yes. they, they were both orphans, but they mm-hmm. lived orphan lives differently. Yes. One was the rich boy. One literally had mm-hmm. living with rats. Yes. No, I like that. That is, that is, I, I feel That's like. That's how I would interpret it. But I, you're inter- I'm not saying your interpretation is wrong. This is all up for interpretation. Yes. No, I, so I like what you're saying because um, really when they're having that conversation in Arkham Asylum, um, he he kind of basically says that same thing right. to bats and he's he's like we've been working together at right. this so we you know it's us. you from the light and me from the shadows like we he he really was completely deluded into thinking that they have been working together and he's been sending batman his own twisted clues and he's just watching as batman picks them up perfectly and thinking that they're having this twisted conversation with each other i mean it's it's kind of what we were talking about last time where they did a, a fantastic job of, of portraying the psyche of a psychopath mm-hmm. and you know like it's, it's almost not like that's unlike sherlock and moriarty yes i mean it's it's almost like that or this that's how he views it mm-hmm. once bats puts him away he's like you're just another street urchin like you don't mean anything to me we don't have and a relationship hurt his soul oh my gosh you that's when he starts to become unhinged right. otherwise he thinks he's talking to an equal he thinks like yeah i wound up in prison but that's because we did our jobs perfectly right we took out the trash right exactly i meant to do i meant to be here behind this glass and and so yeah i think that's a really good point that 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 theme is also supposed to symbolize that he's showing batman and that he feels that he is like the yin to his yang that he is the other main character Mm -hmm. in this story and uh, obviously bats is like no 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 you're not i'm the main character (laughs) sit down boy sit down (laughs) um but the the point that i was gonna make is in in talking about you know i I told you about what the original poem is about right um i really think that it was selected because of the um the parallel that you can draw between those two characters Mm -hmm. someone who's been cast out of society and and feels misunderstood and is crying out for help you're 100 percent correct on that because i think we talked to either the first or second episode we talked about even how the Riddler calls in all these other outcasts to help him in his mm-hmm. yeah that that cry for help exactly yes except for in the song it's not the Virgin Mary he cries out to the dark web <laughs> so hello dark another, web twitch oh uh, just hello dark web my old friend um, <laughs> but but that is and then it's and then it's perfect that they used that bastardization of the original theme and and twisted it and made it a minor version right. because it's not he's not the the hero that he thinks he is he's not the main character that right. he thinks he is and he presents that face to the world and that's who he is in his mind but the version that we hear and the version that we see is that minor version of the song mm-hmm. and i just it, it's so consistent throughout the whole movie um that you that would is... think he's the major but in fact he's the minor but in fact he's the minor and then and and the thing was interesting too when we we're talking about subversion and taking your traditional ideology of what these characters represent and turning it on its head so for the villain we they picked a traditional holy song a song that mm-hmm. is associated with catholic mass mm-hmm. and conversely for batman's character for our hero his theme is something that I would say is akin to a funeral dirge. Right. You know, that dun, 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 dun. It's mm-hmm. very, that is a funeral march. And uh, this is our hero. Yes. The vocab word for the day is dirge. D-I-R-G-E. <laughs> and and I just, I, it was, again, a, a great 
way to subvert and and take that and, and turn it on his head. I mean, he does get a, a regular heroes theme that mm-hmm. does play in other areas of the song, but that is the the song that we hear. That's the theme that we hear whenever Batman's on screen. Mm-hmm. Is that low funeral dirge of a well, song? Not only that, it, it makes me think of Hans Zimmer's theme in the, the Dark Knight, where his the theme is really long. It's so it, long. It's very. It's long, another one of those ten pagers. But it's it's one of those where it's like you have about 20 seconds of the theme that you hear throughout like the trailers or in different parts of the film it's like the same 20 or so notes that are played here mm-hmm. here and here yeah. but it's like that's the theme but the theme itself is very long yes mm-hmm. and has a lot of different sounds mm-hmm. to it and yes if you look at the piano music for the batman um those those two themes the 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 dirge part and then also the da, na, 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 those are mm-hmm. all in the same song um, so yes, you're correct. It is all completely part of the same song, but it's just that little snippet is what we hear. And that was what I walked out of the theater humming too. Right. Not the main like here are we theme, but that was what was stuck in my head for like a solid week. Me and Wes both were just walking in the kitchen going, dun, 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 you know, <laughs> absolutely terrifying. Who was the main character as, each other, as you passed each other? Oh, I'm Batman, of course. Always. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till he hears this. He'll be like, uh, no, I'm Batman. I'm sorry. I wear more black than he does. You know, touche. You really do. You really do. I do. I'm wearing black right now. You are. Um, so, yes. Um, the the other thing, let's see. What did I? What else did I want to talk about about this? We talked about. Did we want to talk about the song titles? I was, that's literally so what I was looking at. Fun. Please, everyone listening, go look up Michael Giacchino's soundtrack for the Batman and just look at the song titles. And this is something that he does with, almost every soundtrack that I've seen him score is he specifically just does puns galore with every song title. Um, Some of my favorites were um, Caller ID, but (laughs) C-O-L-L-A-R, like a cat caller, uh, or like made a caller, like made an arrest, Um, escaped crusader love instead of caped crusader Uh, and then my favorite one also just in the song in general was um, instead of gone girl was gonica girl Mm -hmm. which is selena's friend gonica gonica onica not gonica so just please go go look at the soundtrack because there's so many puns that like i will not do justice trying trying to explain them to you it's funny because they're all puns and this film was dark I know. Real dark. I know. It made it very tongue-in-cheek, like, dark humor. Like, hey, this was a super dark movie and definitely uh, took place in a lot of darkness and everything, but I'm going to make some jokes out of it. But <laughs> um, oh, and then the one the one actual song that was used, that I actually didn't do a whole lot of research on this, and I, I want to get your opinion on the one actual song that we heard in the movie was um, Something in the Way by Nirvana. What did you think of that song choice? To be honest, anytime outside of Iron Man, I feel like when I hear a song with actually actual lyrics in it that it's like a superhero film, I'm like, wasn't expecting that. Unless, like, especially this, like, it could make sense. Song, you know what? Let me take that back. It makes sense in other films. It wouldn't have made sense in this film because it's it's a niche film. The other ones are your typical standard hero film. This mm-hmm. is not. We talked right. about this. You know, we've talked about this several times now. Mm-hmm. So hearing that was fine. Like, 
more I thought it was fine, but at first I was like, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Again, it, subversion. It fit because it had that same melancholy kind of tone. You were really to it. excited. You were like, "Hold on!" I because I mean, I like I like that song. There's several Nirvana songs that like I really like, but they have to be used in the right context because they definitely have their own vibe. Like they're not grocery shopping songs, right? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, You're not gonna hear that. When they you're are not. In Walmart. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and it took me a little bit, and I was just thinking about like the mechanics of why the song I felt fit so well, mm-hmm. and. I started, I was humming it, and then I was watching a movie, and then I started humming Batman's funeral dirge underneath it, Mm -hmm. and they're written in perfect sync with each other. So you can play Batman's dun-dun-dun-dun. I wonder if you could find a mashup of that on YouTube. I'm sure. I'm sure someone on, what was was that site? SoundCloud? SoundCloud? They got everything there. I'm sure someone on SoundCloud mashed those two things up, because they do. They fit perfectly together, because... They start at that center note. Like, if you're looking at it on the piano, they start at the fifth note, mm-hmm. and then they bounce to other ends of the chord. Batman's is dun-dun-dun-dun, and then something in the way. They bounce to Ooh. the other side of each other, and they create a perfect chord if you play them alongside of each other. And it was just, like, mm. after I listened to it, I was like, that was an absolute genius choice. Uh, I, I like when, like, when composers can... That is, that's honestly one of the coolest things about composers. Like, they're like, I can fit this into this. Like, their brains are just hardwired for music. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this fits with this. Let me mash them together. So putting in Nirvana with that funeral funeral dirge makes sense, mm-hmm. you know? Cause yes. He probably would like, like, you know, those sound the same. Bop. Put mm-hmm. them together. Exactly. Um, and I love, too, the choice of using that, which I think was a song from the 90s. Let me... Let me double check that. What was it called again? Something in the way by Something Nirvana. In the way by Nirvana. I can't say I would know. I don't listen to a lot of Nirvana. I I rarely do. It's from it's from the album with the baby on the front. Oh, that one. Uh-huh. Oh, that one. Show album. Yep, ninety one was when that album first came out. I wasn't even born yet. Um. And so it's just interesting that they picked a song. They didn't pick a recent song. Right. We kind of talked about how there are elements from this movie that kind of fall out of time right. with each other you and know so there's, it could be anywhere right you have cell phones and but then you also have like old school fax technology mm-hmm. um and so there's a little bit of a mix of like okay what time period does this take place in this song kind of was an interesting choice because i feel like it kind of plopped right squarely in between our kind of batman eras mm-hmm. you know we have like the the, the 60s 70s 80s versions of batman and then we have kind of a break. We, there wasn't a whole lot of Batman content, but there was a little bit. And mm-hmm. then we have our modern day Batmans. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was interesting, just I think a conscious choice to pick a song from right smack dab in the middle of our big iterations of the character of Batman to kind of join them together and also say that this is something that takes place kind of within, but also outside within of those. Within and without. Yeah, within and without, outside of those universes. Um. So that's... That's most of what I wanted to talk about was just the uh, the conscious choices and about the soundtrack. Um, there's definitely some other fun parts um, in Catwoman's theme. I remember uh, listening to it and playing through it, and I and I thought, how funny would it be if he included a sound where. It sounded like a cat walking on a piano. And I was just thinking that absentmindedly. And mm-hmm. then I flipped through the music. And he does. 
<laughs> he thought of everything. He does. The man thinks of everything. Genius. So there really is, like, go listen to Catwoman's theme uh, from the soundtrack, and there really is a point about, that's like... That's so funny, because that's so cliche, and he's like... It's so We're cliche. We're throwing it in. It's, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, is he put it in at a point in the song when I was already so melded into the song that I was no longer expecting it. Mm-hmm. And I forgot. I was like, how funny would it be? And then I deleted that thought from my brain because I was doing something else, and then later you hear, like, Lulzy a kind of sound. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, really put a cat on a piano. <laughs> he did his work. He did his work, and he did his work well. Um, the one other thing that I wanted to bring up that didn't really fall into any place in particular. Um, it does, though. But it, it would have been in the last podcast it does, but it we talked about lighting. It would have been in the other one that we talked about lighting, yes. And I didn't bring it up, and I'm, I'm kicking myself for not bringing it up. Because it was, like, one of my favorite scenes. And it's when... Second ca- favorite for me. Second favorite for you. Uh, it's when... Catwoman goes into Falcone's office above the Iceberg Lounge um, to confront him. This is worth talking about, though, even if it is disconnected from the lighting portion. Oh, because it's awesome. Because it's awesome. And which I also noticed we were talking about lighting. We were talking about red being Batman's color. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I also noticed when we're talking about she's kind of on his team, but mm-hmm. also at the same time kind of not. And this is where their paths di- kind of diverge a little bit. Uh She's. I noticed we were rewatching this scene. Um, she's wearing a pink wig. Yeah, we for this about confrontation. This. Um, I don't remember us talking about this, but yeah. I was. I just noticed it, and I was like, "Oh, interesting. Pink is a little." Because she has a little. Doesn't version she have of red, red the first time she goes in? She does. She has red the first time pink. she goes into that. Yes, when little. she diverges mm-hmm. and starts taking her own path. Mm-hmm. I just thought very again every. Every choice is intentional, and that was a very interesting and Red intentional is an important color costume choice. Um, so, so yes, in that in that scene, uh, she goes to confront him and uh, takes a shot at him with her pistol mm-hmm. and misses, and I guess hits a, a light panel. So the lights are out, and and Batman's coming up the elevator shaft to try to stop her, right, and head her off, and um, and the lights get cut, and so there's three cronies who are trying to uh hold down the hallway and, and right. keep nobody from coming in and um they've got the flashlight on the back <laughs> of the guy's cell phone and just come over and who's in the rafters but a bat <sighs> but a bat and it just shines on his face and then he just drops and attacks them and because the light is out the only light we get for that whole scene is the strobing from the gunfire and so all you see is just muzzle flare and bats hulking figure just wailing on somebody. It's such a technically beautiful and brilliant scene. Mm-hmm. And you have to think, again, this is, comes from a production standpoint, how coordinated that had to be. Oh my gosh, completely. Because, I mean, you're like, all right, we're going to shoot these guns this way and then this way. And as you're getting your, you know, your butt kicked, make right. sure you're still shooting this gun right. so that we're showing. Like, you have to see him moving. Because at right. one point you have... Would you say they were Uzis on yes. either side of the screen? And you see Batman just coming at you. Yes, like, they're um. they're both just firing full auto Uzis into his armor, and he's just storming down the hallway. At that them. is menacing. Oh my gosh, it's absolutely amazing. So what I would have to think from a choreography standpoint is they would have had to rehearse. You have to work with choreography and lighting and props. Yes, you do. Because, and there's a couple of components here to this, and this is why I love this scene so much, is they would have had to walk that scene through over and over and over again with the lights on Mm -hmm. and rehearse it like a dance move. Right. 
the whole time until they had it down every single step and then work it with the lights off. And, and, and you do, you have to work with, with props and you have to work with lighting because there were a couple of fudges that they actually had to make for this scene because, um, with the Uzis, maybe you might get that much muzzle flare, um, in the dark. Um, you could also, I would say, you could do this scene a couple ways because they go pitch black at some point. Mm-hmm. You can do this double exposure as well where you just keep the camera rolling mm-hmm. or rather you you don't move the camera. Okay. You keep shooting like you would layer one scene over another. Interesting. You wish they could do, but I don't think they would have done that. I think this would have been one all, like one shot. What effect would that give over just doing it with one camera and one shot? One shot is just, it's just a long take. Okay. Like Alfonso Cuarón will always do. Yes, I love long takes. Um, if you do double exposure, you be you could like do one stunt, and with the with the guns, and then oh. move on to the next one. You would just layer them on top of each other, so it would look like one long take because you right. wouldn't move the camera position. But I would assume it was all one take. Okay. Well, not maybe one up. take, but like it's one long shot. One long shot, exactly. Yeah, I would have to. I'd have to look that up and find out Me if they too. did that. Because the other thing, like I said, they did have to fudge some things a little bit because the Uzis, the muzzle flare makes sense with muzzle flare, muzzle flash. Um, it makes sense with because that is a, a burst fire full auto gun. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones that they do it with are pistols. Mm-hmm. And those do not, unless you're, you would have to be firing. Um, there are, there are. Or the sound is all added in too. The sound was fine. The sound was fine. The, the sound, sound was actually later, correct. It was the, the muzzle flare because pistols don't have that kind of muzzle flare. Right. Um, so it was just, it was it was a fudge, but it was a fudge where I was like, no, I'll allow it. It looked cool well, enough that we, they can just have it. Maybe we talked about this, but like when a, when a hero is like firing gun versus like a villain, you yes. want the hero to have the better sound. Yeah, you and I kind of talked about the sound design for for her- heroic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they do an excellent job of doing it in The Mandalorian, which we will eventually talk about too. But <laughs> just which I still need to watch. Adding a little sprinkling in of his awesome, like just a couple notes from his theme mm-hmm. to make the heroic actions that he does that much punchier. Right. And so I can totally see why they would do it for that effect. Like even though the guys, you know, secondary weapons are pistols, we're going to add in the muzzle flare and anyway because it looks awesome it looks cool and then it makes batman seem stronger that he's like meh at mm-hmm. this. exactly not for me exactly not gonna bother me so, my suit of armor i'll allow it and technically there's certain kinds of ammo that you can do to produce you can use to produce that lens flare there's some with um shotgun ammo called dragon's breath that literally doesn't really fire anything Neat. it just fires like flames out of it <laughs> that's so cool yeah and you can do that with a lot of blank rounds because they're not actually firing around you can you can modify them to come out with more muzzle flare mm-hmm. and that's probably what they did which is from an armoring perspective on set where they probably just loaded it with modified blanks so i'll allow it because that scene was absolutely right. awesome stunning absolutely stunning i know today was kind of a short episode so thank you guys for tuning into this three-part three-part really of this like series music, that's, that's, so that's what this whole music. whole episode was about was just me geeking out about the music and the just music is so good fangirling it was it was very important to the film just fangirling for michael Gacchino. Um, as we always will. As we always will. I've always promised to do. Um, so that concludes um, our series on the Batman. Um, so thank you guys so much for tuning in. Of course, today we talked about, like I said, 
a little bit of the production decisions, but mostly today was about music, and that is not going to be a thing that stops. So we'll always, we love music. We love music, so we will always nerd out about a soundtrack's music just a little bit in every miniseries that we do. Um, make sure to tune in next week, because we're going to be talking about M. Night Shyamalan's movie Signs. Uh, so definitely give that a watch if you haven't seen it recently or at all. I guess I'm sure there are people out there who've not seen that movie before. Right. You can find it on HBO Max, but you can also rent it on Amazon Prime. Yes. So again, thank you so much for tuning in. Cinematic Pulse is edited and produced by Cherie Jackson. The episodes and theme are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find Cinematic Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Thank you so much for listening because we just checked your cinematic pulse. Roll credits.